Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Lockdown Sound Podcast. Got a little bit different setup for today. Hunter is out on vacation, so my main co-host today is Mike Kendall from Flipping Birds Apparel Company. Hey, everybody. So we also have Felicia Marie with Women of the Wild and Misguided Outdoors. Uh, Welcome. Thanks for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. So talk to us a little bit about your mission. Uh, I, I know that we met back in February in Novi at the, the Outdoor Expo in Novi, and I was super impressed with uh, what you ladies do in, in your efforts to get more women not only involved in the outdoors, but educated in the outdoors and all of the opportunities that are out there, you do some pretty amazing things with with your teaching and your hunter safety classes. And um, if I remember correctly, you're very involved in getting youth into the outdoors as well, which obviously we can all get behind. Yes, absolutely. Um, our biggest mission with Women of the Wild is providing education and opportunity to women but we have that motto and mentality of if you take a woman outdoors, you're then taking the entire family. So not to like downgrade it to men, but you take a man hunting, you've taken a man hunting. When you take a woman hunting, you have now taken her, her friends, her family. They just get so um, involved in the outdoors that it builds this fire, this passion that they want to share it with others. So we provide that opportunity not only to women, but then we turn around and we host co-ed events, family events, youth events. And we also host, um, annual female veteran hunts as well and let's face it if we get back to the 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 man aspect of things we've all we've all been in a scenario where potentially um your significant other says man you're going hunting again today and and i i view what you ladies are doing as really helping to helping to not only educate women getting into the outdoors, but you also eliminate that conversation and that, that um, conflict really in, in your relationship. And it's, I can only imagine it's something that ends up being, being an activity that everybody looks forward to doing together. So that a big, big high five to you ladies for, for doing that. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. It's- Growing up for me, it was almost taboo for women to hunt. Um, so it built like a really big passion for me because a lot of my my background is self-taught. Um, it's, it's always been something where you had to kind of earn your spot with the men. So we want girls to feel like they can come out and know absolutely nothing and leave that field feeling confident. And we don't just focus on hunting. We do hunting. We do fishing. We do canning events. Like it, it is not limited. So if it's not your thing to hunt, completely okay. We have a slew of outdoor activities that we provide. Um, It's just important for us to give them that safe space. And we have, you know, we tell them there's no stupid question. Like if you have that thought, somebody else probably does too. So feel free to ask it so we can answer that question and you can leave your 
feeling more educated and feeling that confidence when you walk out. I feel like that's, that's a, a big thing for, for people that are just looking to get into outdoor type activities. Um, I can relate to the self-taught thing because I found fly fishing about seven years ago, totally self-taught. I know enough that I'm halfway decent at it, but it's an activity that as I do more, I find that it's a reset button for me. If I'm buried mm -hmm. at work or I'm feeling a little overwhelmed about certain different things, or I've had some unfortunate events uh, in terms of work that have, that have happened, I find myself sneaking away for a couple of days and putting a fly rod in my hand and it completely resets where I'm at mentally and it's an energy reset. So letting everybody know that, that it's okay to, to be involved, uh, huge presence of women in the outdoor industry, which is cool for me to see. Um, and, and I, I like that you guys are kind of spearheading that, that effort or doing what you can to spearhead that effort and getting, getting more women out there. It's, it's really cool. To, to learn more about what you're doing out there. Yeah, thank you. So would you say you guys deal more with just unexperienced hunters as a whole, or are you dealing more with, you know, as in enlarging groups? So like, are you taking groups out that one or two women hunt and they're bringing their friends to get them into it? Are you getting, you know, single, single bookings where a woman's just wanting to learn it herself, more couples, relationships. Do you, would you say that there's a, a majority of them in one of those categories or is it pretty well evenly mixed? So we, we focus a lot on the three R's um, and we provide a lot of opportunities for the first time hunters, somebody that has never done it, but we welcome all experience levels, but we also like to intermix experience levels because if we're in an event in some of our events, we host up to 20 women at a time on a single event. So if we have beginners and we intermix experienced hunters in there, they can interject their knowledge along with our guides, along with our outfitters, um, along with our PRs and our staff member from women of the wild as, as a big overall to us, it's just, you have a place and you're accepted and this is a safe space for you. Like it doesn't matter if you're a beginner um, we do have a lot with women. It seems that sometimes it's difficult for them to want to go do something for a first time experience by themselves. So they will typically bring a friend or a group of friends to go do something. But I have so much respect for a female that is going out with a group of people she's never met at a location she's never even heard of. And she's going to go try something brand new. Like the intimidation factor there has to be so high. So we try to cater to that and we build a sisterhood that is like very accepting. When you come in the door with us, we know that you're nervous and we're going to try to break that. And we're going to try to build that friendship with you. And we bond on so many levels. Like we make sure that we're, we're getting to know these girls on a personal level or we're learning about their family. We're learning about their habits, their jobs. So it's, it becomes not as intimidating because we actually care. Like a lot of these girls with us and we build a friendship that, last a lifetime like we we are constantly bringing girls out and you know building that friendship with them and then we continue and bring them on the next event so they might come out with us for the first time it's their first experience but then they're going to come back and they're going to bring their friend they're going to bring their spouse they're going to bring their child and we just keep rolling it and we open it up to 
not limiting just to what we think that these girls want to do, but we'll send in our private group, we'll put up posts asking what they want to see next, what they want to learn, and we grow from that as well. So before we dive further into that, I want to jump back to when you started that. What, what are the three R's that you mentioned? So the three R's are like the recruitment. So bringing out your new hunters and providing that opportunity. And then looking at retention. So retention is like girls out there and keeping them out there and keeping the interest. And then you have your reactivation stage. Your reactivation is somebody that say, girl started growing up as hunting and throughout her life, you know, she's had a job, she's had kids, this family is kind of taken away. She hasn't been out hunting in 10, 15 years. We're getting those people back out. So that's the three R's that we focus on of uh, recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So making sure that we're hitting all of those and it's giving that ability for anyone in the outdoors to be there, providing that education and keeping them engaged in the outdoors. It's a, it's a great aspect to look at. Um, especially for women, but it's also great for men. Like we are looking at being able to keep those opportunities continuously going, or maybe they have intimidation because all the groups that they have, like waterfowl specifically, you might have a group of guy friends that want to go hunting, but sometimes as a female, being in such a male dominant learning environment, you don't want to be looked at as like, oh, you silly girl, why didn't you know that? But when you come out with a group of women, there's just a comfortability level that we can provide along with that education. And we're going to build your confidence. And then you're going to get to the point where you can go out with those boys and you can feel like you belong. A lot of times women don't, they lose that acceptance factor when they go out in large groups of men. And it's not men's fault or anything like that. It's just, I think as women, sometimes we get in our own heads that we think like, Oh, we can't ask that because they're going to think we're stupid. Or is this a dumb question? If you come out with a group of women, you're going to be comfortable and you're going to be like, hey, I have a question. What is this? And a lot of times they're fantastic questions that could be answered. Um, we had we had one where we actually see this question a lot with waterfowl of asking why you like, do you have to wear orange in the field? Honestly, it seems like a stupid question, but it's not. It's a great question. You're in the same field that other people are out deer hunting in and they have to wear orange and you're out there with a gun and you don't have to. So like answering those questions while they think they're like a silly stupid question it's really not but we can provide you that answer and give you that education as to why you don't versus why you do with deer hunting um thank you for listening to locked on sounds podcast we want to take a moment to thank one of our most important sponsors migra ammunitions the migra stack load is engineered using their patented technology which gives migra shells consistent bulk density and pattern uniformity while maximizing versatility in the field. Based out of South Carolina, Migra Ammunitions is at the forefront of shotgun shell innovation. Drawing from proprietary technology from the defense sector, Migra Ammunitions manufactures shotgun shells with quality and value in mind. Built out of passion by its founders, Migra shells are oriented towards the passionate waterfowlers. Now back to your favorite podcast. This past weekend, we actually did an educational intro hunt to waterfowl but we dove into everything from deer hunting, big game. Um, we even talked about turkey hunting and small game and even dove into like some hunting over in South Africa. So just because we host an event for one thing, if you have a question that we can provide that answer, we're going to do it. I can heavily relate to that. In so like Flipping Birds Apparel Company is a direct result 
of trying something new, even though I had been waterfowl hunting for 25 years at the time, I had never even heard of a snow goose. And my buddy who lives down in Kansas said, man, we've, I think we've got to check this out. This looks insane. I think we have to check this out. And I very regular, very regularly reference the obsession that I have with snow geese as a direct result of the guide that we had for the first three years we did it. We bombed that poor dude with a bazillion questions and all he did was just answer every one of them in a super respectful manner, approached everything from an educational standpoint. And it's created the monster that I am right now that is, you know, like if there was only one species of waterfowl that I was allowed to hunt for the rest of my days, it would, I would choose a snow goose where people look at me and say, you, you, yeah, you're insane for that. But it is a very direct result of the education and the excitement that uh, this guy we had for the first three years instilled in me because he approached it in the same manner it sounds like you do where listen there is no stupid question ask me anything you want i'm an open book and i just absolutely love that yeah and i think that you know just relates my experience as a whole in waterfowl hunting i mean i grew up as a deer hunter for the first you know 15 16 years of my life and hunter's the one that got me really big into waterfowl hunting years ago but it was the very first time i went waterfowl hunting i didn't even plan to go and it was you know, mid December. And he was like, go buy your license. You're coming with us on the split. And I was like, okay, I borrowed a single shot 20 gauge from a buddy. Cause all I had was a deer gun that had a rifled barrel. So, you know, wasn't shooting any steel out of that. And I went out with him and it was nothing but questions. I didn't understand why we were set and spread the way that we were. I didn't understand like, Oh, what, you're putting out two dozen decoys. That seems like a lot. Now it's like, Oh, two dozens of minimum we'll put out if we're hunting a river and you know stupid questions like that that I probably should have done some research on before going but it's just that learning curve and experience that you know he pretty much was my guide but I can I can relate to the the wisdom that you guys provide to these women going out there for the first second third time or however time it is you know I still have questions to this day when I hunt so it's nice to see somebody out there targeting the women in the waterfowl industry and just hunting industry as a whole and seeing how that's producing. And obviously it's working because uh, women hunting is about the only percentage of people that is growing in the United States today is right. everyone else is depleting in numbers. A lot of, lot of. Yeah. We've noticed, sorry. No, that's okay. There's a lot. We've of... noticed in the last three years that it has, the influx of women has just skyrocketed. Yes, absolutely. I, I, following you on social media, it's fun for me to look who look through who you connect with so that I can then also try to connect with them. Um, because it is important, youth, women, the, the reintegration part that you talked about where, where maybe you've been out of it for a while. Well, like, let's get as many people back into this as we can. And it's just super Super cool. I would, one of the things I noticed right away in meeting your group back in February was the bond that was very visible between all of you. Um, it's super inspiring to have to have your tribe, if you will, and know that as a family, because that's 
I mean, that's really at the end of the day, that's what we are. We're all one big family, but to see how close knit your family was, was very cool. Yeah. Our girls are absolutely amazing. Uh, we have right now, women of the wild has three board members and three PRs. We're actually in the process of adding about six ambassadors on the team as well. But we do, we consider ourselves a family. We have a group message where we talk every day on the back end. We actually care about each other's personal lives. We joke with each other. We hang out outside of Women of the Wild events. And I think that's really important. And it shows the other women when we are there. It gives them that sense of comfortability because they're seeing that bond. They're seeing that family and they want to be a part of it. And we want them to be a part of it. Um, when we met you guys back in February, I know we had met Mike, Will, we've met both of you um, there. And I remember coming over to the Locked In Sound booth and getting my son his first goose and duck calls. And um, like he's walking around the Expo Center blowing his calls. Like it's important for us to build that community um, with other people in the outdoors and community, especially local people, um, because that's how we all start, right? So it's important for us that like I always have that mentality of two candles are going to glow brighter together. There's no reason to put out someone else's flame just for you to get the attention. Building the community of support is so important, whether it's on a personal level, a business level, it all becomes this community that if we just support each other, you all rise together. And that's the biggest thing for us is we're not, Women of the Wild is not just about Women of the Wild. We share other women's events. Um, it doesn't matter if it's with us or another group. We're a hub, essentially, that as long as it's a vetted company and these are vetted outfitters and we're putting you in a, like, we're recommending a safe situation, it doesn't matter if it's with us. If it's providing that opportunity or education, then we will share that across. Demographically, we can't hit everything on the head. We're Michigan-based. We travel all over the United States and even internationally to South Africa. But, like, we still don't have the demographic to reach every single female out there that wants it. So with these other groups, if we sisterhood with them, we can provide more opportunities. And it doesn't just have to be women's groups. Like, Mike, I know you and I talked about putting together a, a snow goose hunt. Yes. It doesn't, like, men want to support the cause, too. It's not always just female to female groups. Men want to get out there and support, too. So we, we do get a lot of the, I don't want to call it bashing, but you get a little bit of that shaming of, like, why was there a male instructor? Well, our perspective is, yes, it's fantastic instructor and you you know this is your profession or you're an expert in that area it doesn't matter to us we want you to learn from the best quality it doesn't necessarily matter that it has to be a female instructor when we have that option we definitely try to go that route one of the reasons why I got my guide license was for women of the wild so I can help with instruct with other female guides when we host our you know our female pheasant hunts it's all female guides hosting 20 female new hunters and we go everything from sitting in a classroom and learning about the environment and the birds to firearm safety hands-on. We teach them clay shooting. We get them nice and comfortable. We take them out in the field with our female guides. And we do all of that, bring them back, serve them lunch, and then teach them how to clean their birds. So it's a full circle. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to just be women to women as long as it's a professional that is you know, we look for vetting. So like making sure that these guides are insured or licensed and making sure that they're going to treat our girls right. If I have a girl that misses a bird and you're going to put her down, we're not going to use that guide because these girls already have their own self-conscious issues that they're like, 
they already put themselves in their mind down with their confidence level that they have these high expectations that we don't want to put them in a situation where they're like, oh, man, I really did miss that. And that was such a bad, you know what I mean? We want to be like, it's okay, you'll get the next one. That's what we look for. And let's face it, we've all been there, right? I mean, it there's not a season that goes by where my oldest boy and I don't look at each other at one point or another and go, man, how did we let those get out of here? You know, there's not a hunt that goes by that. I don't miss a shot. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) I mean, it is, it is tough, right? It's tough to break through that, that barrier. And it's one of the things that, that is, I'll call it a head scratcher, but it's way more than that for me that, that exists out there in, especially the waterfowl industry, but then again, in the, in the big game industry like deer hunting and and like your trip to South Africa and such. Um, I'll never understand why that exists out there where people feel like they have to put others down to elevate themselves. Um, inclusion should just be a part of what we do. You know, I, I talk about snow goose hunting to just about anybody that will listen. And the reason that I do is because as a primarily a waterfowl hunter, I firmly believe that that experience is absolutely something that everyone who is willing should have. It is unlike anything I've ever seen. And I want to share it with as many people as possible. Why in the world would I ever try to make someone feel as though they didn't belong there? That's I don't, I don't think that's our place as people who choose to be ambassadors, if you will, for the, for the outdoor industry, why would we ever do that? It just, it makes no sense to me at all. So. No, I absolutely agree. It's, it's something that I think when you have, I think we all go through this phase, right? Like you, you start off at hunting at whatever age that is and you're gung ho for, for the hunt. You, you have that like drive for the hunt. But then as we age and we dive a little deeper and we've had our own experiences I think a hunter goes through a phase of where they just want to help other people get out. Yes. And it's not about you taking the shot. It's about what shot opportunity you can provide a new person. And you, as you grow, you start to build the excitement of seeing the new hunter, seeing the youth, seeing these females or these men or these veterans getting out and harvesting something for their first time. And like, that's our biggest mission with women of the wild and in life in general is watching others succeed because you like, for me, I've hunted a lot of things. Like I'm a big waterfowl hunter. I'm a even bigger Turkey hunter. Um, I love my big game, but at the end of the day, I've done so much of it, that it doesn't, doesn't break my heart not to be the one to pull the trigger. I enjoy the suffering. So us as, as women of the wild, we are all backing the experience for a, someone else to get out there and do something that we've gotten to do so many times and we love it and enjoy it so much that we actually almost enjoy it more to see someone else do it. I 1000% agree. Uh, every spring we go through a rotation between my oldest boy, my youngest brother and I about, all right, so who's calling and who's shooting today. And every single spring I say, look guys, you get yours first and I'll worry about mine later because I absolutely, I'm, I'm in love with the process of it and absolutely do it to see the look on 
folks' faces or, or people's faces when they experience the first spin of snow geese that may be 500 to 1,000. And, and even, if they, even if you don't get to shoot without fail 100% of the time, when people see that for the first time, you look over at them and their eyes are wide and their smile is big. <laughs> and you're like, look out, here you go, buddy. Now you've got it. Good luck getting rid of it because it, it, it is what it's about for me anymore. Um, and I try every single season, every single spring when we go down there, I try to get as many people to come down with us as I can. I love it. Like I get excited just even talking about it, but you're a thousand percent right with that. Our girls, when they experience something for the first time, like we do an annual crane hunt, we're doing our third annual this year in December. and those girls, the first time they see a hundred cranes coming in at them and just working the decoys and coming in, like they almost, it's almost like they forget to pull the trigger because they're in such awe of these birds. Cause it's not something that we typically see. We get a lot of girls from Michigan. We had girls from California, Arizona, and even Minnesota come to Texas. We did a love it crane hunt last year and like the excitement in their face is all that I need. I don't even care if we kill a bird at that point. But um, it's like, okay, we'll burn that flock. We'll come to the next one because it's, it's going to keep happening like this all day long. So, like, it's really neat to see that excitement in anyone that you take out. And then it just, I think it grows that passion for them that much more to experience it firsthand that close. For sure. I will forever remember the first group of snow geese that I was ever under. And that, to me... <clears throat> is what I'm trying to give to other people because it almost feels selfish if I don't share it because of the way that I know that mm -hmm. it makes me feel. Um, I just want to give that to as many people as I can. Yeah, it's an experience like no other. I mean, especially like I've learned the past couple of years that there's definitely different aspects about the hunt that I love that I never thought about before. Like, in when you and I hunted together in Kansas in January, that was eye-opening. That was January, right? It was. Yeah. yeah. So that was eye-opening for me because uh there were shots where I didn't even pull up my gun because I was running the camera. Right. And I loved recording the hunts, watching the birds come in, and we got some sweet shots out of it. There were there were times when Hunter looked at me after a shot and was like, Did you did you shoot? And I was like, honestly, I didn't even pull up my gun. Didn't even think about it. I was following the bird, and I know Hunter's kind of Similar but different because he enjoys calling more than he enjoys shooting. So it's funny. There'll be hunts when we're just me and him. I'll be running a camera. He'll be calling and we'll have birds like laying in the spread. We'll look at each other like, oh, neither one of us pulled up the gun. We got to be quick about this before, you know. I guess that's what we're here for. They're, they're sitting in the spread, buddy. Neither one of us shot on their way down. What are we doing here? And it's, right. it's just one of those things where the past couple of years hunting together, we've learned like there's different aspects to hunting that we fell in love with that are aside from just simply pulling the trigger at a bird. Absolutely. For, for me, it's like, I love the process of outsmarting a wild animal Yes. and how close I can get. So like, whether it's waterfowl, whether it's turkey, whether it's deer, I don't prefer long, long range on anything because I like to outsmart that animal, whether it's decoys, whether it's calling, whether it's even just brushing in your blinds and your setup how well can I disguise myself and how well can I trick those animals that I'm the real thing and they come in as close as possible. I want to, I want to smell them. I want to hear them breathing. 
I want to see their eyelashes. Like that's, that's the part for me of like hunting that. And once I get to that point, it doesn't even matter if I pull a trigger. Like, it's just cool to have one that like that, that game with that animal that you outsmarted them. Thank you for listening to Locked On Sounds podcast. We want to take a moment to thank one of our most important sponsors, Slap and Tails Guide Service. Captain Justin Dixon is a USCG licensed captain and has 20 plus years experience fishing the Saginaw Bay and the Detroit River for walleye and perch. He is personable, knowledgeable, and wants to see you succeed. He makes sure you achieve what you are after. They run a brand new 21 Polarcraft Outlander, which has lots of room while jigging and trolling. You'll have a great time and take some great tasting fish home for the table. Now back to your favorite podcast. That's the best part to me. Yes. And, and that's where I live with snow geese, right? Because they're hunted 10 months out of the year from, from mm-hmm. their winter or their spring breeding grounds north of Saskatchewan, all the way down to the wintering grounds in the Gulf of Mexico. And then they turn right back around 30 to 45 days later, and they make the same trek right back up north to the breeding grounds. And they're literally hunted all fall and then all spring, all the way through the Mississippi Flyway. And when it works, when you can say to yourself at the end of a day, we, we got them today. It is the greatest sense of accomplishment I've ever felt in hunting. I, I liken it to the whitetail guys who, who say, I'm going to let that deer grow to its max potential at five and a half, six and a half years old. And then I'm going to try to outsmart its eyes, its nose, its hearing. Um, And they end up with that great big buck that we can put on the wall. It's just like that for me. Uh, Turkey hunting. It's one of my favorite parts about turkey hunting. Now, do you guys run any... We haven't talked about turkey at all, so it's a good segue time to bring that up. Do you guys run any any turkey hunts in the spring or fall at all? Or, you know, what all? So, yeah, um, I'm obsessed with turkey hunting. Um, anybody that knows me, that's kind of my niche. Um, I, we don't run it through Wim of the Wild yet at this point, but we did host, I hosted some through my guide service. So I own a guide service here in Michigan. It's called Misguided. Um, but I also help out down in Texas, a few other states. And then I also take people over to South Africa every year. Um, so this spring, I actually hosted a couple of turkey hunts. And um, I took, you know, my boys had never shot a turkey, so I took them out. I offered it up to some ladies. One of my girls, absolutely my favorite story. Um, we took her out this spring and guided her in the mountains for, for her beautiful Audad when she was uh, eight weeks pregnant. She climbed 4,000 feet elevation, shot a beautiful Audad ram, and then two months later came here and I took her out for her turkey. And at this point, she's like 17 weeks pregnant. And I took her out and she shot just this beautiful monster tom with me. Um, just I would do it with women of the wild is because we try to build that sisterhood and that bond. So like I said earlier, like having my guide service, it was a, a crutch to women of the wild to help with assisting with hunts and uh, what's affordability of it and everything. But then I also function independently and I do the more individual, like one-on-one style hunts so I can still provide that education and I can still bond, build this bond with these girls, but it's, it's 
harder when it's those, because you could take somebody out deer hunting or turkey hunting. It's a lot of like one-on-one time or we're, you know, I don't want to take somebody bear hunting and we just set them up in a tree stand and walk away. That's not the point of women of the wild. So that's stuff that I do through my guide service. So typically turkey, whitetail, that kind of stuff is through my guide service versus women of the wild. That way we can keep the sisterhood bond with women of the wild. And then I function independently with my guide service, but still assisting with women, youth and veterans. Now, being so gun haul on turkeys and all the different states and countries you've hunted in, I've got to ask, have you worked towards your turkey grand slam at all? Have you, you know, what, have you gotten any different species of turkey, any oscillators or anything like that? Um, I've gone for Rio a couple of times and I had an incredible experience a couple of years ago where I took a group of girls down to Texas and we were bow hunting Rios and I literally had a Rio like 10 feet in front of me at feet, not yards. Yes. And my bow was drawn back and he was on the other side of a bush in front of me. He was literally so close. I was afraid I was going to miss him. Um, <laughs> some like whether he saw us, heard us, whatever he ended up, like I was waiting for one more step and he'd have been down Right. and he ended up taking off. So I've had like this vendetta with Rios. Um, I've hunted them three or four times in Texas and every single time, I've left without one. And like, it's okay because it's built a bigger passion for me. We've certainly does. Other species of Turkey yet. And it's just because I think I have that vendetta with a Rio that like, that's the next on my list. And I won't move on from that until I get it. I love um, that. <clears throat> love that. Yeah. I'm not a, seen, I'm yeah, not I'm, a checklist person. You're not a what? I'm not a checklist person. Like even with waterfowl, right? I've shot a, a great deal of different species. And I honestly, like, you know, when you talk about your slams and stuff, I don't sit there and check them off what I have and what I haven't shot. To me, I have like my, my season goal. I don't really see beyond that because I, I'm so diverse in everything that I hunt that it like, I would love to one day do my waterfowl grand slam, but I don't have to do it for the grand slam like it's more of a personal benefit and same with with the turkey um i love turkeys but it's the easterns have kind of been it for me and it's it's just lack of traveling i mean i'm a single mother i raise two boys i work full-time and i own four companies so it's (laughs) not it's not something where i have that ability (laughs) right saying you're not lacking for something to do today no Let's go try to correct. <laughs> so we're, we're coming up on goose season. Now you're in Michigan. So your goose season starts tomorrow, actually, which means I got to ask, what are your season goals this year? Um, so personally with my season goals, we're about to head into early goose. Um, I have some things turning on the back end that I'm not sure how the rest of my and with my women in the outdoors during early season I don't really have big goals this year because I have some things burning on the back end that I'm you know if those things play out it could change everything so I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants this year um they my boys are why I do everything that I do um the generation that we're raising is our next generation of conservation and I love my boys wholeheartedly there's nothing in this world that matters more to me than those two little boys And it's just spending time with them and getting them what they want. Um, So this year has been more of a focus on their bucket list of things that they want to accomplish more than anything. Um, Both my boys are avid waterfowl hunters. 
so it's, you know, I ask them like, you know, Mike, you, you got to meet them and, and Will, you got to meet them at the expo in February. They are fully invested. So when I ask my kids on a free day on a weekend, what do you want to do? And it's goose hunt. Okay. We're going goose hunting. But in the same sense, uh, Saturday, I have a couple's hunt that I'm taking two couples out for their, their geese. Um, both girls have waterfowl hunted with that day's goal is to get him a goose. And then it's actually the same girl I was just telling you about with the turkey and the odd dad that was pregnant. She's pregnant. So my goal is to get her a goose while she's pregnant because she's due in a month and a half. And she just wants to put a goose on the ground while she's pregnant. One more thing to add to her bucket list of things while she's, so it's, I don't have a personal bucket list, I guess is my, my end of that story is it's more of fulfilling things for other people while I have the opportunity until what I have going on in the back end plays out. I think we're, we are there as well. So Will and, and Hunter and I have been working diligently on something that, that I feel like is going to be very big for the three of us. Um, so I haven't, shamefully probably or ridiculously I, I haven't even thought about goose hunting yet because my sole focus is trying to get what we have working on the back end finished because it is an absolute game changer for us as well and I can say for me going back to the point that we made about you know at, at a certain point you I'll, I'll call it mature enough where you don't care if you pull the trigger anymore, or it's, it's, it's about, it's about the experiences for, for others more than it is about the experience for ourselves. I can look back on things with my two boys and know with certainty that that is when it started to change the most for me was when I said, okay, my oldest boy is obsessed with shovelers obsessed and I said, well let's go let's go do what we can do excuse me to get you one boy do and, i have the lake to take you guys to this right. year <laughs> and then and then seeing him seeing him take his first shoveler was i call them core memories right so it's mm -hmm. a core memory for me and it and it furthers it further solidifies that i have done my part in making sure that these children who are the future of our, our of conservation of the hunting world I've done my part to make sure that that lives on another generation by by getting them as involved in hunting as a half they both started going turkey hunting with me when they were five they would sit in my lap and if we if we got one that's great if we didn't well that was great too yeah, it's 100% building that passion. Like you said, educate that next generation, but they then you're putting so much passion in them that they're going to want to continue and passing that on. That's the importance of of making it fun for like our kids is to make sure that you're building that passion so deep that they want to inspire other people to get out there as they grow. Yes. It's fun for me now with snow goose hunting where my, my oldest boy, I'm now introducing some of his friends to the snow goose hunting world and when they go they get out of it exactly what we got out of it where i don't know i don't know how i could do anything in the waterfowl world this is cool as that we've got to do that again 
Yeah, it's that it's that real, you know, that hook, line, and sinker that gets people into it. And I think it's awesome to see, you know, one of my personal goals this year is just to get two or three new people out into the waterfowl world that haven't been. And I've I've had people a few years now have been telling me like, oh, I really want to go this year for the first time, you know, like let me know when you want to go. And it's it's one of those like, oh yeah, let me know when you want to go. And then you never touch base on it again. So I'm really excited to start making plans with some of these people and get some new people out to the field for the first time or even the first time in 20 years and really excited to expand the horizon for some of these people that haven't had the experience of hunting in general, let alone waterfowl hunting and everything like that. It's going to be an awesome time to see it progress throughout the year. Yeah, that's what it's all about. For sure. For sure. That's what it's been about for a lot of years for me. And and it's, it's nice to meet like-minded people and, and then see where that connection leads you all. Cause for me, it's always been about making connections. I don't, I didn't start flipping birds apparel company to get rich. I started it to make connections and hopefully make a few bucks so that I could hunt snow geese a couple more days, you know, than, than I was. Yeah. It's, and that's a big thing when it's not, when it's not about the money, it's about apparel, all volunteer. None of us get paid for what we do. We just have that big of a passion that we want to share it with other people. Um, So that's why we have like our sponsorships and things like that is so that way we can afford to cut the cost of education or sponsor a couple of female veterans. We don't keep anything for ourselves. Everything goes right back into our girls. And the fact that we're all volunteer based, like we have different aspects in those events to make sure that everything goes off without a hitch. And it's fantastic to see the, like how receptive the women are to that of like, oh my gosh, you're out here guiding our hunt for six hours. Then you're coming back, making us lunch, going back out guiding for the evening. And then you're coming back and making us dinner. Like, how do you do what you do? And it's because we love it. We we love helping. We love seeing the excitement and we love helping build that passion throughout other people. Yes. Yeah. And and I get the, Boy, it must be nice to own two businesses. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's great, man. Yeah, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of wondering and questioning myself if I'm doing it right. A lot of why didn't this work or what about that worked? And how could I how could I possibly reach more people? And yeah. The yeah. 2 a.m. phone calls from the West Coast. Right, and right. <laughs> don't realize you're sleeping right now. Right. Yeah. Mike, I have to say that is probably my biggest pet peeve is the must be nice. Must be nice. Right. Um, right. We have the same, it's, we have the same 24 hours in the day. It's what you make of it. So it's, if you have something, it's, oh my gosh, that's incredible. It's not a must be nice moment to me. It shows me how hard somebody works and how much passion and effort they put into something. Having, you know, multiple companies, it's something that, you know, Sleepless nights, lost out on time with your family. Um, like you said, 2 a.m. phone calls or putting out fires because, you know, this just happened. Like there's so much of that on the back end that people don't see. And then they get that must be nice mentality. But what a lot of people don't realize is everyone has this ability. We all have the same 24 hours in the day. It's what you want to do with it, how hard you want to work to achieve those goals. So I just have to touch base on that because it's one of my biggest pet peeves is hearing people say that. Yeah. And I think looking at you and what you do, not many people can look at you and say, oh, you've got 
you know, four businesses, two kids, and you're running a guide service and doing all this great stuff for the hunting industry. There's not many people who can look at you and say, you probably don't even work for it. And you just get to hunt all the time and have fun all the time. You know, it's, it's definitely an inspiration to see the amount of stuff that you juggle and still seem to do a good job with all of it. Thank you. It's a, a big misconception that people think that this is my full-time job. It's not. I'm in healthcare. I've, when people see that and they learn that I actually have a, a real like nine to five job, they're like, oh my gosh. And it's like, yeah, there's, there's a big aspect to this that a lot of people don't understand when they see, you know, social media always just shows the fun parts, right? Like we don't, I don't post a picture of, of me sitting at, at my computer or working in the hospital or anything like that. They just see the, the hunts and the smiles when there's a lot of hard work every single day that goes into obtaining things um, to be able to support these women or, or our youth. And I think that it's something that a lot of people don't see, you know, you know, you have a business and you run this in the outdoor industry and somebody thinks that's all that you do, but in all reality, have real jobs and, and things like that, that passion doesn't pay the bills. Cause if it did, it would be a full-time gig. Thousand percent, and I'd be a lot better off. I'd be rich as hell right now. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. That's that's one of my biggest like. I don't know. When I talk about it, and that's like my my go to phrase when whenever something's addressed is if passion pays the bills. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Until then, I'll be working. Right, right, and and I think that's the case for a lot of us. Right. I tell people that I have two full-time jobs because if I ever get to a point where I give the apparel company the attention that it deserves, that's exactly what it'll be. And we're on the cusp of that. We're on the cusp of, of me making a very big decision to either continue on with my quote unquote day job or use the the motivation that I've, I've taken from Will and Hunter in like they, they both sat down with their significant others and talked about it and said, look, we think we've got something here. We, we could probably do this full time. And they just went ahead and did it. Um, so it's, it's the, the late nights and the, the trying to fit it in. And the, I mean, you've got two, two young boys that you're, you're responsible for, um, it's a lot of that that people don't see and and that's where I, I feel the same way about the boy it must be nice comment yeah and i think especially in your situation those those two young boys getting to see them at the the expo back in february march i mean they're an excellent testament to to your work and the role model that they've had growing up and seeing them being able to see you and what you've accomplished and what you get to do and the work that you get to put in, they're never going to look at somebody and say, oh, I don't have time to work on that, or I'm not going to do that because I don't feel like it. They've had an excellent, excellent role model to see what they should be pursuing. And whether it's something in the hunting and waterfowl industry, or whether it's something totally different, they will have that drive, motivation, and passion pushing them forward to do great things, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. My oldest, he'll be 14. That's actually, uh, September 15th is his birthday and every year for his birthday he wants to goose hunt and he wants sushi so every year he gets that but we've actually had that conversation because he's starting you know to to adulthood and like you know when he was nine years old I had that that story to him that 
you know, you're nine years old. I don't expect you to be an adult all the time, but at nine years old, you're halfway to being there. So I expect you to be an adult half of the time. That really has instilled in both of my children that like we, you know, the responsibility, the manners, like it's there, but having conversations with him about what do you want to be as an adult? And he's told me I either want to guide full time or I want to be a DNR officer. I want to do something in the outdoors to help provide conservation. So that to me is a win when you hear a youth that says the conservation is the biggest thing that I want to help spread light on and I want to enforce and I want to make sure people are doing things ethically. To me, that's a win. And I don't care if it's my kid or another kid, if you can. It's definitely a huge win. It's definitely a huge win because too many people get caught up in, well, I want to do that, but it doesn't pay me very well. And I, I think it speaks to the passion level that, that is either there or it's not there. Because again, if, if passion paid our bills, we'd all be doing what we love. And, and kudos to you for, for encouraging that in them. I, I always told my boys that the worst thing you can do in this world is knowingly force yourself to get out of bed and go to a job that you absolutely hate. Find something that puts you on fire and then become good at that and you'll never work a day in your life. Where there's a will, there's a way. So as long as you got the passion, there's a way to make it happen. Certainly. Certainly. Passion. And I mean, we all have that suffering and that that suck aspect of life. Like everybody's gonna experience it at some point in time. So that's something to be really honest too about is hey, you might have to struggle and you might have to go to that nine to five that you don't like for a couple of years until you can gain the ground to be what you want to be. But that's okay. <laughs> There's a light at the end of that tunnel. And as long as you keep your nose to the grindstone, you keep moving forward, it's going to be there for you one day. And that's, I mean, that's with you with Flipping Bird Peril, Will with Lockdown Sound, with, with me, with Women of the Wild, like people and succeeding along and supporting other companies, you're going to get there. You're going to get where you want to be. It just, it takes work. And the, the hard part is, and the, the realization behind it is a lot of people especially some of these younger generations don't want to put that kind of work in. They just see how easy it is for someone on social media and they don't realize all the backing that those people had to go through to get there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that a thousand percent. I mean, uh, I, I follow, obviously I follow tons of people on social media, but I've, I've derived a lot of motivation from a very particular uh, gentleman who just says, look, everybody's got to have a nine to five at one point or another, but if you want it bad enough, work your nine to five, but then from seven to midnight, work on your side hustle. If that's what you really want to do mm -hmm. and it, you've got to put the time in and you have to fall in love with the process, because if you're already chasing this, if you're doing it because you think you're going to make a lot of money, you've already lost. You have to fall in love mm -hmm. with the process for me. It's the grind of how am I going to find time to do that today? Or like at, at this event I went to on Monday, how am I going to talk to people and try to share my passion about snow geese in general, let alone snow goose hunting? How many people am I going to be able to share that with today that are receptive to it that maybe didn't know anything about snow geese or snow goose hunting um so it's really 
the old adage that you're going to get out of it what you put into it has never been more true. And like you said, if there's a will, there's a way. You either find a way or you find an excuse. And you can't be mad about the money that you didn't make from the hard work that you didn't put in. Mm-hmm. And like like you said earlier, I mean, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And people always say, oh, I've, I've got my full-time job. That, that's eight hours out of your day. You've still got 16 left. You know, if, right. if you sleep eight of it, which let's be honest, how many of us are really sleeping a full eight hours? Rich people aren't not, sleeping eight hours. Not many, you know. So if you're sleeping five or six of that, you're still left with 10 hours. What are you doing with it? You know, right. what, how much of that are you just sitting watching TV or, you know, Mine. playing on your phone and right. everything like that. You still got 10 hours left to, to grow your business and really do what you want to love. Do do what you love and how you want to do it. So it's definitely an important part to highlight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now you've had a lot of experiences that I think um, a lot of people have on their bucket list. You know, you're, you've gone out of the country to hunt a lot. Do you have any, any favorite hunt stories, any favorite species you've gotten to pursue anything like that you want to touch on? Um, gosh, Sand Hill Cranes, as far as waterfall, is one of my favorites. Um, that's why we do an annual trip because it's just the camaraderie and those birds and the sound and everything, just like Mike with his snow geese. But turkeys are obviously my favorite. Um, so eventually working towards every species. But like I said, sticking to that Rio till that's accomplished and then I'll move on from there. Um, Africa is one of my favorites. Um, it's something that a couple years ago, was never even a contender for something I wanted to do. Um, I've always been avid at, I'm not a trophy hunter. I'm a meat hunter. Well, as I've grown and with that maturity level of hunting and gotten to experience what it's like in a third world country and what it provides back, it built a passion in me that like, I didn't even know I had. And I will, I will gladly let you know that I am a trophy hunter now because what trophy hunting means is you're taking the most mature you're helping with that next breeding generation for those animals that you're, you're producing towards conservation. Like when somebody says trophy hunter, it has such a bad stigma that I have learned what that term actually means and sharing that education. One of my ultimate favorite hunts wasn't even something I hunted. I took my dad to South Africa last year. He, um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I did not grow up hunting. I didn't grow up in a hunting family. My dad hasn't hunted my entire life. Last year, I took him to Africa because as a little boy, he always wanted to go. It was something that you had to have a lot of money to do. And only like the rich and famous got to do it. So he always just, you know, watching it as a little kid, I took him. And then I found out like two weeks before we were going that a sable was like high on his bucket list. Not even if to shoot one, just to see one. So when we went, I was like, okay, he's got to see a sable. And we got there and he harvested his first animal with me in my entire life. And it was his dream animal. So that, that to me was by far the, the, and he worked so hard for it. Like we pursued this, this sable on foot for several hours and he just worked so hard for it. And finally he took that single shot and put him down. And I was more excited for him than anything that I shot it was just an incredible moment to share that with my dad. He's my, my blue collar superhero, as I call him that, you know, I was really close with my dad growing up and fishing and everything, but 
hunting was something I got into by myself. And my dad having so much for respect for what I'm doing for new hunters. So I, I want to hear that story. Alaska and he would hunt there. And being able to build that passion back for him and provide that opportunity, it was that, that three hours ago and that reactivation for my dad. Mm-hmm. And I got to provide that in his dream place on his dream animal. And then it was just, I think we took six animals on that. I want to hear that story. I want to hear. He was going to Africa. I'm hunting my gray ghost. And we hunted that sucker for six days and six days hard. And I shot him literally the last day that we were there to the point where my dad was starting to feel resentment of his sable because we burned a day on his sable. And I was like, dad, it's okay. Like, do not, do not feel like that should take away from your experience. Like I'll come back and get him. It's perfectly fine. We were literally 20, 20 minutes from turning the truck around to go leave, to go back to the airport. And we had two kudu bulls run out in front of us. My PH said, Felicia, they're both shooters. Take the one in the back because he knows that I, I'm not, it's not about size for me. I like the old, I like the weird. Um, so he said, shoot the one in the back. He's the oldest. I shot him and literally as soon as we shot him, we took our photos with him and then we had to turn and burn and run straight to the airport. And that's just one of those experiences to me that I think will reside in my heart forever. I was able to take a group of people through women of the wild to South Africa this year. I think we did 17 animals in nine days and we took a moment where we sat up on pride rock and overlooked the 32,000 acres that this ranch is on and watched the sunset. And I broke down in tears because all I could think about was last year being there with my dad and not knowing if I'll have that opportunity to do it with him again and just cherishing it. So I noticed this year that that had, had resonated with me even more than I wanted to give it credit for. That story literally gives me goosebumps. <laughs> it almost makes me cry every time I think about it. Cause my dad is literally he's best. I could hear you choking up there a little bit. That's impressive. Taking a minute to thank another one of our favorite sponsors. The Essaries of Top Down Decoys have been an incredible inspiration to many in the waterfowl industry. Their patented, reversible, lightweight, and cost-efficient decoy is an absolute game-changer to the avid goose hunter, especially one who values hunting gear made right here in the United States. Be sure to check out their website, topdowndecoys.com, to check out their one-of-a-kind decoys, along with their traditional silhouettes. Now back to your favorite podcast. Him and my mom, we've gotten my mom out into hunting now. And I have the reactivation with my dad, the recruitment with my mom. But then I also have that retention with both of them because I've taken them out pheasant hunting. I call my dad and I'm like, hey, come turkey hunting with me and the boys. They're like, hey, let's go whitetail hunting. So I I don't only like it's something I take very personal because I do it with my own family. I want to hear the story about how you got into hunting. Everybody's got that story, right? And you you saying you didn't grow up in a hunting family, but ended up finding it anyway. It's very, it's very interesting to me to hear that story. My dad was an avid fisherman, so we would go out for walleye and everything all the time. And, you know, dad's being dads. They're sitting in their bathrobes on a Sunday morning, and he's watching the Outdoor Channel watching, you know, Bill Dance. And I remember he got up to go take a shower and get his coffee. And 
the the next show that rolled over on the outdoor channel taking um i think it was his brown bear in, in alaska at like 10 yards with his recurve and it, it was a replay of his interview about that and i my dad got out of the shower and i'm sucked into that show and i'm like dad i want to do that and he's like do what and i said i want to shoot a bow and he took my sister and i to gander mountain you know and that was the thing and we got from there like it slowly grew and I was always outdoorsy like I was always out like building shelters in the woods and everything like that I just never had the opportunity to hunt um didn't know any girls that even thought about hunting and as I got into my teenage years it really like lit a fire under me that ever since then it has just been a part of my life and every season every year I try to add two more things that I've never done I'm big on education so it started really simple with like small game with frogs um growing into whitetail growing into turkey growing into waterfowl like and it just kept growing and growing to the point where this is my everyday life like I work I work 10 hour days for the hospital and then I turn around and I get off work and I go get my kids from school and we go work my line or we go scout my fields or we go fishing and it's it's not just a hobby it's a lifestyle and that's how it all just it just it kind of like started and then it just went and I don't even know where the time has gone and it's just I mean we're working on two decades of now being a hunter and I get to share it with my kids and share it with other women and it just keeps growing and growing um, I mean even to the point where we're we're doing exotics down in Texas and, and cranes and ducks down in Texas and, you know, going to Nebraska or going over to Maryland and hunting or fishing. And it's, it's just an incredible journey. I'm absolutely blessed to be in the situation that I am to be able to continuously enjoy this. But now it's just, who can I share this with? Because I've gotten to experience so much and because I love it so much. If I can provide that outlet to someone else, then I've succeeded. It's, it's truly planting the seeds, isn't it? Yes. I, I mean, I, and it is crazy to think about. I've been waterfowl hunting for this year will be my 36th season. And I think about just how fortunate we are because, again, I, I don't think enough people look at we get one at bat. Right. And what are we doing with that at that? Are we, are we going to be too, we're all going to be too old to do it at one point, but when we get there, are we looking back on our, our at bat and are, are we saying, man, I wish I would have, if only I, if mm -hmm. only I had the courage to, you know, fill in the blank. And I think what you're doing is, filling in those blanks for yourself, but you're also a very positive role model for not only your kids, but so many other people that like, hey, I mean, this is our one at bat. Let's go make the most out of it that we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I've always had that mentality. Um, I've had my own health struggles and I learned in my early twenties that you don't always know, like tomorrow's never a for sure thing. So every day has to count. Yes. And that, to me is probably what drove me to the point to where I am now was some of the, the major health issues that I went through in my early twenties made me realize that I might not have tomorrow and 
I literally live my life based on that. Like I can't control what happens in the future, but I can control what happens now and I make the best of it. And I, I try to provide the best of it that I can to other people to carry that on. I operate in much the same way. Um, I lost my mom in 2015, um, 59 days from diagnosis to death. Um, and it really, truly does, if you allow yourself to reflect on it, it really, truly does remind you that tomorrow is not promised. And if today mm -hmm. was my last day, did I do enough where I'm okay with that? And I mm -hmm. operate uh, under that almost every day. Uh, people that know me know that I'm constantly trying to squeeze in one more thing. I, you know what, I don't really have time for this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to make time for it because at the end of the day, at least I know that I tried to absolutely maximize today, knowing that tomorrow was not a given. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, somebody wants to get out hunting, call me. Right? Hey, I've never done this. Here's my phone number. Call me. Like I, I may not be able to do it right this minute but let's start that conversation and we'll get there. Or if I don't have the ability to take you, I'll find somebody that does that's trustworthy. Like answering yes to me is like the biggest thing that us as outdoorsmen should be doing. We shouldn't be putting someone else down because we don't like the way that their spread looked or the way that they brushed in their blind. Like everybody does it different, but avoiding that negativity, I think is something that really needs to be brought to the forefront of outdoorsmen and women is sure. Don't compare yourself to someone else. It's okay to do things differently. Like everybody has their own way of doing it. Find what works for you. But it's going to build that passion within others how to push forward. Yeah. That's the biggest, biggest thing that we try to overcome is because there's nuggets in the world. And it really stifles a lot of people's passion quickly. Yeah. So being supportive is a huge key. But finding that mindset like what you went through with your mother, what I went through with my health issues. Everybody has their story and it's up to you whether you want to succeed from it or not and whether you want to let it stifle your flame or if you want to use it to glow a little bit brighter. Right. We should never be extinguishing anyone's flame. I agree. I agree. And instead, Absolutely of, not. instead of bashing someone about that stuff, why don't you take 15 minutes, 30 minutes, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, whatever it takes to help them learn more and grow more. And that's one thing we've talked about on previous episodes of the podcast before too, is how much it's one of my biggest pet peeves is how much negativity there is around hunting on social media, especially nowadays. And, you know, having locked on sounds, Instagram, it's Facebook, it's TikTok, it's whatever. We get so many people commenting on our stuff, wanting to learn new things. You know, how do I call, how do I cage and squeal? How do I bouncing head or simply just why'd you set your spread that way in your latest video and stuff like that. And it's my biggest pet peeve to see people hopping on there and being like, shouldn't you know how to do that by now? Or I see you've got, you know, videos and pictures of dead birds on your Instagram. So shouldn't you know why they're setting the spread that way, blah, 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 blah. And it's one of the, one of the biggest pet peeves I have is how much negativity there is and how easy it is for people to hop on and say that type of stuff when, like you said, in reality, it should be about saying yes and teaching people and giving new people that experience they've never had before. 
Absolutely. I mean, us as hunters, we're always dealing with the greenies putting us down. We're never going to beat that. Um, providing education is key. I actually went through this literally just when I got back from Africa a couple weeks ago is I posted a photo of one of the vervet monkeys that I had taken while I was there. And we did a management. I took three vervet monkeys while I was there and I posted a photo of one. I didn't post it um, to showcase a, a trophy or anything like that or, or, or showcase what I had shot while I was there. It was educational based. So I posted a photo of this monkey and then I posted a photo of the damage that they do. And I did this big, long post of like why hunting certain things are important for management, that it's not necessarily that you're taking it for its meat or anything like that, but you know, you have predator, predator control, you have varmint control, you have things like that. And people were very quick to like jump down your throat of how unethical that is to shoot this furry little creature. But in all reality to, to respond back is why, why comment on someone's post if you don't have something positive to say, first of all, is I just don't understand it. But to, for me, I always like to respond with the education of, well, these animals are destructive. They carry disease. They're harmful to the agriculture. They're, you know, could you imagine a, a raccoon that rips shingles off of your house? You're going to want that, that managed. And even as like we, we suffer so much of that from like the greenies that we don't need it conflicted from our own outdoorsmen. Like we need to be supporting each other and having that conversation. Like if you don't like what somebody does, scroll past it. Um, you know, just be, you don't, you don't know the whole story. Like you see a video, you see a photo on Instagram or Facebook. You don't know the whole story behind that, that somebody posted it because they were proud of it or because they wanted to start a con a conversation about what had happened. Respect that. And if it's not, you know, if it's not okay with you, unfollow them. Don't like that post, like whatever it's, it's social media at the end of the day, who cares? But like supporting one another through what we're doing through our journeys is so important and nobody showcases that. And it's so important that like you might have a negative thought about, you know, the big um, belly up, belly down with the geese photos. Like, why is that a thing? Who cares? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, why does it even matter? <laughs> like that photo, let them take it how they want. Right. Or, you know, when you start talking, goose spreads and we start talking about wind direction and somebody's getting torn apart because they set their their spread out and they set their family groups different or they're putting their gaps different or um you know oh you should be facing those into the wind years out of the wind why are all your your heads facing different directions everybody has their own experience of why they do things different and we should just be respecting that and it's okay to be like, hey, why are you doing it that way? And then be perceptive of their opinion and move on from it. It doesn't have to be, oh, you're doing this wrong. And in, even take it as a lesson. Learn something from it. Or let, mm -hmm. it, let it resonate with you in a way of, oh, wow, I never even thought of that. I'm going to have to maybe, maybe there will be a scenario where I can try that. I have gone so. Or be mindful of. Yeah. Or mindful of maybe that person didn't know. And you right. ask like, hey, why did you do it this way? And they're like, well, that's how I was taught. And like, hey, you should try it this way next time. See if it right. works better for you. Right. Don't tell um, them wrong. I posted, Give them a suggestion on how to try it differently next time without making them feel bad about themselves. Yeah. And a lot of times you just don't know the whole story. So last year I was out waterfowl hunting in the marsh um, down at Point Malay. 
and I had posted a beautiful sunset photo. And the very first response that I got from several people is, what, what the hell are you doing? Why are you facing with the wind in your head? I, I didn't even respond because A, we weren't, the wind was to our back, but I had to turn around to take the photo of the sunset because the, <laughs> the view in front of me was a marsh. Like you don't, you don't see everything and you don't know the perspective of what's happening in that situation. Right. But I have noticed that it has been a big thing with our outdoor industry is as a community, people are so quick to chop your tree down before planting a seed. That drives me insane. I follow so many snow group pages on Facebook and, and other outlets of social media. And it just drives me insane the amount of negativity that's on there because the easiest thing in the world is to scroll past something if you don't agree with that. I, we all do it every day. And, and mm-hmm. why would you, it takes more time and negative energy to post a negative comment or make a negative suggestion on someone else's platform than it does to just scroll by or send somebody a message and say, Hey man, I noticed a couple of things. I'd like to talk to you about those. I'd like to potentially help you out today instead of publicly shaming you for, or whatever, whatever it happens to me. I I just, I'll never understand it. Yeah. Being, being mindful of how you bring up something like that is equally just as important about over what you're about to say, you know, walking up to somebody and saying, well, that's dumb. Why'd you set your spread like that? It's totally different than, Hey, I always set my spread like this. Why'd you do it that way? You know, it's, it's a difference about being cocky and being a teacher. I think. Thank you for listening to locked on sounds podcast. We want to take a moment to thank one of our most important sponsors, Nolan's Poorhouse coffee company, saving lives, one cup of coffee at a time. Sit with family and friends and spend some quality time with those who will support you. Now back to your favorite podcast. Yeah, and I've always said, like, there's a difference between being cocky and confident. Yes. You can be confident in the way you do something, but being perceptive that somebody else's way works just as well is so important. And I think some people get cocky and they think their way is the only right way to do it. And, like... So this past weekend, I had told you guys, like we had, I instructed a intro to waterfowl to five new women. Three of them had never done any type of hunting at all, drove all the way up here from Kentucky for this course. I had a girl from the West side of the state that drove three hours to be here. And another one that drove almost two hours south to be there. And these girls had never hunted, never done waterfowl. Some of them had never even held a shotgun. And we went over everything from you know, an intro to hunting and hunter safety, to bird identification, to teaching them how to brush in blinds, um, A-frames, layouts. We talked about panel blinds. We talked about natural hide. We talked about all of these different things. And that was something we touched on. It's like, this is how I do it. It doesn't mean that it is the only way to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's quote unquote the right way to do it, but this is how I do it because this is what works for me when you're dealing with wild animals. This is works for the animals that I'm dealing with. If you're dealing with snow geese, that's going to handle different than Canada's or ducks or cranes. Like you have to, you have to be perceptive of everything is different. Everyone's situation is different. I might do things differently than Mike because 
I'm a hundred pounds and it might be hard for me to do it that way. So I might've found a, a loophole in that to do it a different way. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's what works for me. Yeah. I, I, we tried tactics down there this spring, struggled the first couple of days down, down hunting snow geese this spring. I reached out to a very dear friend of mine who's an outfitter down there. And I said, man, these things are absolutely kicking our rear ends this year. He said, here, come down tonight. I'll give you some, I'll give you uh, some stuff to try. And then you can let me know how it works for the rest of the trip. And it completely changed our trip around. And if you're not, if you're not conscious and, and, and receptive enough and, and and don't recognize an opportunity that there are other ways to do things, I, th I think you're missing the boat. It, I mean, the things that he told me to do, I was like, dude, there's no way that works. There's no way that works. And all it did was work flawlessly for the last three days of our trip. Completely changed my opinion of our trip. Yeah. Um, I mean, I experienced that this year with turkey hunting. So I've always had that mentality of, I don't ram strutters. Um, I know it's a big, like controversial thing, but I always ran two hens and a Jake and I would always position my Jake behind one of my hens and my mentality on it. And what has always worked for me is sometimes a, a Tom might spook off smaller toms or even a dominant tom but a jake will tick all of them off and they'll come in well this year um i had a very unfortunate event happen where my son was getting something out of the bed of my truck he left my tailgate down with all of my decoys in the bed of my truck and i didn't know it and pulled out of my driveway and lost two of my avian decoys oh no and yeah you know it is what it is life it happens. happens but it happens. So, <laughs> So the next morning when we were going out, I ended up using my strutter. I always had one as backup. I just never ran it. And one of my good friends, Ryan, was like, try running that strutter. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I have to at this point. I'm, I could just run hens, but I had lost two of my jakes. And I was like, I'll just run my, my two hens and this strutter. And it worked. I mean, we were very successful this season. And, I mean, my boys – I think we took them out nine different times and they had a shot opportunity every single time they get a little bit, you know, trigger panic and, and they missed a few times. But when it, when they, my oldest finally cashed in, it was a life-changing experience for him. Like he shot his Tom and he looked at me with this blank stare and I was like, baby, go get your bird. And he like, it almost like, I felt like I had more excitement that he had just pulled the trigger. But then once he got up to his bird and realized what he had just done and, and how hard he had worked for it, all he could do was hug me and thank me for that opportunity. And it was like, it was awesome to see that, you know, my style isn't the only way that works that I just tried this. And now I didn't even replace my Jake because I'll just run that strutter. Like it worked. So changed my perspective. Um, yeah. Goose hunting is no different. Yeah. I've always had the mentality of, running full bodies and I'm the type of person that like it's a visual thing for me that like if I can trick an animal into I'm the real deal well what's better than that than full bodies so I never ran silhouettes this year I'm running a couple dozen silhouettes in my spread just to fill some of those gaps and and add to those numbers and you know me being a tiny female as guiding on my own I don't have the capability to go set 10 dozen full bodies but I can for sure go set 10 dozen silhouettes by myself 
and not have to lug all that in, in and out of fields. Right. So it's those perspectives that you have to grow and change and you might have to try something different. I was, I was pretty skeptical at first and I don't know if you've had your chance to use yours yet, but anytime I hunted last year, you know, we don't, we don't have a trailer or anything that we haul full bodies with goose hunting. So everything has to fit in the bed of my truck from stuff for the dog, all of me and Hunter's stuff. And if we're hunting with other people, whatever they decide to bring last year, we switched over to pretty much entirely silhouettes. Those top down decoy silhouettes were a game changer for Are us. They really? Yeah. We used them all last year. I noticed no difference between birds working with full bodies and with silhouettes. And I've heard that. I'm just kind of, maybe it's, maybe it's being almost 50 and, and, fairly stubborn right for for me i'm more on the i'll take a few dozen of those and and use them as fillers but and certainly they have their place i i i know guys i know guys that that absolutely do very well with an almost entirely silhouette spread just can't make myself do it. I don't know what it is. My I don't know what my hang up is. I really do. I think you're a visual hunter with. Yeah, I'm totally visual. Because I'm the same way that I've gone out with groups who have almost solely used silhouettes and they do a great job. They work. And I haven't personally noticed a difference, but I think it's a personal preference thing that that's just what I visually prefer is like the full bodies that I've never ran silhouettes until this year. And like, literally like they're out of the pack, they're ready to go. But this will be my first year on my own personal hunt that I'll be running silhouettes because I've always had that mentality that if it looks real in the field to me, it's going to look real to them. But what a lot of people don't realize is those birds only see in 2D. So that's why the silhouettes work and they don't right. know that it's not a full body. Right, right. Did you and have let's talk about the expense of it. I mean, really, yeah. I, I can promise <laughs> you that when I'm, when I'm three dozen in to setting full bodies, I look at myself or I think to myself, what in the world am I, why am I still setting four to five dozen full bodies? Why do I constantly do this wow. to myself? Right. Uh, I'm dragging a grain mm -hmm. with three dozen full bodies, uh, 200 yards into a field because you, you try to be respectful and not driving to the farmer's field. And I look at myself and I go, why do I do this? Why do I do this to myself? Mm -hmm. But now, it is visual. It is visual for me. Mike, did you have the chance to use your, those snow in Canada? Did you use those at all during snow season? I never, never heard about that or not. Sadly, I did not. Gotcha. Sadly, I did not. And a lot of it was, we struggled down there this year for the first time ever. We've been hunting down there on our own since 2004. 16 the spring of 2016 was our first year down there by ourselves gotcha um we hunted we started hunting them in 2010 but obviously used a guide service the first handful of years we were down there but we struggled down there this year to get permission for the first time ever and i think a lot of it had to do with uh the number of birds that was there when we got down there this year there was 2.2 million snow geese on the refuge and it is almost a million more it's at least half a million more estimated a half a million more than have ever been down there when we got down there. So for us, it was, it was a time thing. We were already two and a half days into our trip down there and we were just for the first time setting up in a field. 
So it was, uh, let's hurry up and get all of our socks out and get our flyers up and let's just start hunting. And, you know, it's a, it's a storage issue too, because once I put, I bought 20 dozen of them. So once I put 240 of those together, now I have to find extra room in our trailer to, to store them. Right. So they will be, they will be deployed this coming spring. <laughs> For sure. They were they were a game changer for Canada hunting. That's for sure. Um, I don't think between me and Hunter combined, we might own a half dozen full bodies. So mm-hmm. last year, all we did was, I think we had three dozen silhouettes and two dozen of those top down decoys, and we only ran probably four dozen silos total between the top downs and the regular silhouettes. And they were a game changer for us, both storage wise. Carrying, like you said, carrying them out to the field so much mm-hmm. easier. They fit right now. We had a dive bomb silo bag that we put them all in, and they were really nice for that aspect of thing. That's for sure. I just wanted to touch on that and see if you see what opinions you had on silo hunting and stuff since you brought that up. So it was good to hear. Well, I think that'll just about do it for today. Um, did you want to go ahead and uh, put out any information for where people can find you? Anything you guys have upcoming? Any any plugs you want to throw out there before we take off for the day? for you um you can reach out to us through women of the wild through facebook instagram tiktok all of those platforms or reach us at women of the wild outdoors at gmail.com we also have our website at www.womenofthewild.net um if you want to connect with me personally that's through felicia marie and or misguided is my guide service here in michigan and um, in a couple other states so if, if there's ever anything somebody wants to do just know that there's a place and we're willing to find that for you. Whether you're a man, a woman, a child, reach out to us and we will facilitate that to the best of our capabilities. But biggest thing, thank you guys. Um, you know, this is how we grow and we spread our mission. This is how we build an outdoor community. So I very much appreciate both Will and Mike for having me on and having this conversation. I really appreciate that a whole lot. Always a very, very easy conversation to have. Um, obviously enjoy your company we are thousand percent behind your your statement and your mission and and really just appreciate you also uh giving us time today in in what we know is your busy schedule absolutely we'll have to get out there on a snow goose hunt with you boys any time it is an open invite i absolutely I get giddy about the thought of bringing your boys down there with us and and allowing them to see what is what I know to be the greatest thing in all. Of I've actually world. never even done snow geese. Well, then you're absolutely there. We go. <laughs> you're absolutely coming with us this March. Yes, put it in the books. All good right. Luck. Good luck starting tomorrow for early goose, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Best of luck for the season to both you guys. Thanks, Thanks, Alicia.